Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Hi, welcome to our Wednesday message. We're in a series called Pondering Prophecy. We've dedicated these Wednesdays to updates every single week on prophecy. And on Sundays, we're going through our sermon series called Unstoppable. It's about the Acts of the Apostles. The question we have to address today is, where is America headed? Our title for the message is America, the Election, and Prophecy. The entire world's media is covering the U.S. election. It really is. It seems like the entire world is interested in the politics of the United States. It's much more than who will win, Trump or Biden. There's much more than that at stake. Most observers today will acknowledge that it seems like there's much more at stake than the outcome of just this election. The world itself seems to be on edge. Uh, The pandemic is just one of the most powerful observable signs that this entire world is in chaos, and there are many, many more. The question we have today is what does the Bible say about the United States and prophecy? This is actually one of the most often asked questions that that I get regarding prophecy. Uh, This is one of the reasons that I wanted to do this series called Pondering Prophecy as well. So let's talk a little bit about the election and what we're likely to see in the, in the very near future. So to begin with, let's first talk about what we can know with certainty about what the Bible says about the end times. First, we see with, with great clarity that Israel was to be restored in the final days. The prophet Isaiah prophesied it very clearly, and this is found in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 8. Isaiah says, who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in a day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion is in labor, she brought forth her children. Now this prophecy of Isaiah was fulfilled literally, factually, actually, just as Isaiah had said on May 14, 1948, the nation of Israel was born in a day. And there is much more in store for for Israel. Zechariah, for example, speaks of a time when God will pour out his grace and mercy on the people of Israel. And they'll look on Jesus, of whom they pierced, and they will mourn. They'll recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Now, there's troubling times coming for Israel as well. And likely, that may be connected as well to Zechariah's prophecy. Uh, the, the prophet Ezekiel foresees a coming war with Magog, Mishal, Tubal, Persia, Cush, and Put. And all of these nations under Gog's leadership attack Israel. Now, scholars have identified these nations. And let me read you some of this prophecy because we'll also see in these chapters in Ezekiel one of the only likely references to the United States in in prophecy. 
This prophecy is in chapters 38 and chapters 39 of Ezekiel, and it's commonly known as the war of Gog and, and Magog. Chapter 38, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Misha, and Tubal, and prophecy against him. And say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Ma Rosh, Misha, and Tubal. Notice that Ezekiel is using apocalyptic language and is also using the ancient names for nations or people groups. Also, whatever these nations are planning and what they are planning to do is to attack Israel. The Bible says to take a plunder. God is against them. And there are other nations that join in with these first three that are, that are also mentioned. Verse 4 says, Your horses, your horsemen, fully armed and with a great horde and a large and small shields, all of them brandishing their swords. And then it mentions some nations, Persia, Cush, Put will be with them, all with shields and helmets, also Gomer and all its troops, and Beth Torgarma in the far north with all its troops, the many nations with you. Okay, so let's give you just some of the names of the, of these, uh, names of some of the nations that are involved. This is what scholars believe these nations are. Uh, there's much we could discuss on how the, it's derived who these nations are, how they've been detected, and perhaps we'll spend maybe a, a day on that at some time in the future. Scholars have been able to identify these nations. First of all, the word Gog doesn't refer to a nation. It refer, refers to a prince or a king or a leader. However, the other nations in this alliance, including others that come along with them, have been identified as follows. Russia is Magog, Iran is Persia, Sudan is Kush, Libya is Put, and Turkey is referenced as, as Gomer. Interestingly, three of the major players in this coming attack on, on Israel are Iran, Russia, and Turkey. Now Iran, as you likely know, is, is Israel's number one enemy. Iran sponsors state terrorism, they fund the Hezbollah and they support the Palestinian Jihad and then they're committed they say over and over again to the complete destruction of Israel. Now Turkey is part of NATO, should be an ally of the United States and of Israel and, and previously had a strong, was a strong supporter of, of Israel. However with Turkish President Erdogan uh, with his ascent to power, Turkey has become more and more a militant Islamic state and has aligned itself with, with Russia. Now back in the 1950s and up to maybe 10 years ago, Turkey was one of Israel's closest allies. However, President Erdogan's policies have become increasingly antagonistic towards Israel. And just this past August, for example, the Mossad, uh, Israel's intelligence agency has warned that Turkey is becoming a bigger threat to the country than Iran. So here we are in 2020, approaching 2021, and these countries that Ezekiel said would gather together and attack Israel in the last days are now presently aligned. What's even more fascinating is that Ezekiel's prophecy describes some of the nations that object to Gog's desire to attack Israel and sack Israel. However, none of them actually comes to Israel's defense. Notice in this next verse that there are nations mentioned that object. 
but it's they are these are words not might verse 13 says Sheba Dedan the merchants of Tarshish and all their young lions will say to you have you come to take plunder have you gathered your army to take booty to take away silver and gold to take away livestock and goods to take a great plunder uh, these nations Sheba and Dedan are referenced in the Bible these were the names of the great-grandsons of, of Noah and for centuries people known as Sheba and Dedan were wandering people migrating back and forth through the desert wastes of Arabia scholars identify Sheba and Dedan as the area of Saudi Arabia including some other countries on the Arabian Peninsula including the UAE now if any of that sounds familiar to you the news headlines in September of 2020 announced that the UAE just signed a peace treaty with Israel. The Jerusalem Post reported that more Arab nations are likely to join in this peace agreement, including Bahrain, Oman, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia. All of these are on or adjacent to the adjacent to the Arabian Peninsula, the same land described as by many scholars belonging to Sheba and Dedan. Okay, so the 2,800-year-old prophecy of Ezekiel for the first time is coming into alignment. Now, I, I've waited to mention the most likely reference to the United States. From my opinion, it's probably one of the only references to the United States in the Bible. Verse 13 continues, it says, The merchants of Tarshish and all the young lions will say to you, Have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty to carry away silver and gold? And I want to focus now on what's called the merchants of Tarshish and their young lions. The Apostle Paul was from Tarsus not Tarshish. This Tarshish is associated in the scripture with uh, the far west, the far west from Israel. And the furthest west you can get is, is Spain and, and England. The, in, the, in the Psalms mentions Tarshish with Sheba. It says the western kings of Tarshish and their distant lands will bring him tribute. The eastern kings of Sheba and Seba will bring him gifts. That's Psalm 72. You know, for years, We've had Bible scholars tell us that Tarshish could likely represent England. The reason for this is that in the 27th chapter of Ezekiel, it says that Tarshish traded tin with Tyre. So Tarshish must have been a tin producer, and the English Isles have been known to be tin producers. In fact, it's even referenced by the Romans back to the first century. The verse says that all the young lions now, England has been represented as a, as a lion for centuries, and many speculate that the young lions that are spoken of by Ezekiel are possibly the English-speaking offspring of England. That would be Canada, the United States, Australia, and New Zealand. I, I happened to come across this recruiting poster from World War I, and the poster says this. It says, the empire, that is Great Britain, needs men. The overseas states all answer the call, helped by the young lions. The old lion defies its foes. And then at the end it says, enlist now. 
The recruiting poster is encouraging the, the sons of England, the young lions of, of Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and the United States to stand with the old lion, Great Britain, against their foes. Now, interestingly, the, these countries I just mentioned, these young lions, are all allies and friends of Israel. The United States, of course, is Israel's greatest ally. And Israel's Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, hails the United States as, and President Trump as a true friend of Israel. Notice, however, in this prophecy, the United States, if in fact it's one of the young lions, doesn't lift a finger to help Israel. However, this is all part of, of God's plan. And let me tell you how this war of Gog and Magog turns out. And then we'll get back to the subject of the United States in prophecy. Chapter 39 of Ezekiel, verse 1 says, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Mishal, and Tubal, and I will turn you around and lead you on, bringing you up from the far north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. You shall fall upon the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the peoples who are with you. I will give you to the birds of the prey and every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. And you shall fall on the open field, for I have spoken, says the Lord God, and I will send fire on Magog and all those who live in security in the coastlands, then they shall know that I am the Lord. Just as God delivered Israel single-handedly from the Egyptians in the time of Moses, or from the Assyrians during the time of Elisha, or the Canaanites during the time of Joshua, God delivers Israel from Gog and his horde during these end times. God does it. God does it all by himself. He, he fights the battle for Israel. Again, God does it by himself. Verse 3, it says, Then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. Now, this could refer to a massive failure to be able to launch their weapons and it, all the armies perish then on the hills of Israel. At the end of this prophecy, Ezekiel makes an interesting reference to a possible retaliatory strike by Israel. It says, and I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in security on the coastlands. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Now that could be, as many scholars believe, a, a nuclear exchange. And it says it's understood that Israel does have nuclear capabilities. Israel's Dolphin-class submarines are equipped with nuclear weapons according to a report in the Times of Israel dated June of 2012. These submarines, according to the Times, are equipped with Israel-designed Popeye missiles, which carry a warhead of up to 200 kilograms. These nuclear warheads are produced at Israel's Dimona nuclear reactor. The report indicates that these nuclear submarines give Israel a second strike capability since they would survive any attack on the mainland of Israel, including any nuclear bases that Israel may have, and enable Israel to strike back at such an attacker. Now, these submarines and the nuclear missiles are, are one possibility of how fire could be sent on Magog and those who live in security on the coastlands, as Ezekiel says. 
The other possibility is that God uses the tried and true method of fire and brimstone, just as he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah nearly 4,000 years ago. But what remains of the United States? I mean, that's what I, what I said earlier. What about the United States? What about the United States in prophecy? Why didn't we see, in this case, for example, the U.S. respond? Why no mention other than this whimpering of a, of a young lion? You know, it's a frightening thought, isn't it? That with all of the military might and the prowess that the United States have, it wouldn't be mentioned, especially in this war of Gog and Magog, which many believe either precedes or immediately um, starts at the very beginning of the tribulation. So let's talk about the United States and why, it's, why is it that the U.S. is not likely mentioned at all in, in prophecy. Now, I, I hedge that and I say not likely because while the U.S. And, and America is not specifically mentioned, it could be symbolically. There are, for example, the beast from the sea that's referenced in Revelation chapter 13. Scholars understand the beast to be the, the Antichrist. However, there are ten horns and, and seven heads associated with the Antichrist. And it's possible, while unlikely, that the United States, or what remains in the United States, is included in this group of nations. As the Bible makes no direct reference to the United States of America when it comes to the end times, we can only assume that for some reason, America's unique role as the leading superpower, both militarily as well as economically, changes at some time just prior to the end times. Now, while the Bible may be silent with regard to the United States and end times prophecy, America has had a, a profound role in advancing the kingdom of God and bringing us to this point of the end times. America has been promoting peace and prosperity throughout the world, coming to the aid of nations both near and far, and befriending the nation of Israel. In fact, let's, let's begin with that. America's support of Israel. God has, you know, God has blessed the United States and, and in part our prosperity and our, and our global dominance is due to a promise that God made to Abraham over 4,000 years ago. In Genesis 12:3, God is reported to say, I will bless those who bless you, bless you and I will curse those who curse you and in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God promised Abraham that he would, he would bless those who, who bless the nation of Israel and he would curse those who curse them. Now America is a recipient of that blessing. You know, for centuries, the Jewish people have been a people without a country. Often they were driven from countries due to religious persecution, jealousy, and religious bigotry. This culminated, of course, in the 20th century with Nazi Germany and Adolf Hitler. He had this evil plan to exterminate once and for all the Jews. While few others than the Nazis actually sympathized with the Holocaust, the centuries of Jewish persecution is actually the primary reason why Bible scholars to this day have had so much trouble interpreting Bible prophecy accurately. You know, God, the Bible prophecy speaks factually about God's everlasting covenant with the descendants of Abraham and the restoration of the Jewish people 
and the Jewish nation. So the question is, how could God have a plan at the end of time to restore and bless the very people that the church has persecuted for centuries? Here's a key to, to Bible prophecy, and this is easy to remember. The key to Bible prophecy, and this is one of the reasons why people make a mistake trying to find Israel, the United States symbolically in the pages of, of end-time prophecy. The key to Bible prophecy, and you could write this down if you want to, it's just one word, the key to Bible prophecy is Israel. If you understand Israel's unique role, and you understand that the seven years of tribulation is Daniel's 70th week and God's plan for Israel, then you'll understand prophecy. If you don't understand this, and you don't understand that God's not done with Israel, you'll make the, you make the mistake of assuming that God's blessing, His everlasting covenant with Israel, has been abandoned by God. You will not understand end-time prophecy as a result. Now back to the United States. Our, our First Amendment is the amendment that not only uh, guarantees free speech, but uh, freedom of religion. It, it provides for that. Now the vast majority of Americans through the centuries have been, have been Christians, but America has always been a, a safe haven for people of all religious backgrounds, including the Jews. Of course, there, there were exceptions. The, the KKK, for example. The KKK hated Catholics, Jews, and blacks. But the KKK was an outlier. They were, they were de determined to be uh, outlaws, not only by the President Uly uh, Ulysses S. Grant back in 1862, but also by the Supreme Court. Uh, they were outliers. They were, they were repugnant. Uh, the people of the United States uh, didn't find comfort uh, in the KKK. The vast majority of Americans scorned the KKK. Now, Jewish Americans immigrated, uh, Jewish people immigrated to the Americas as early as 1654, 17th century, when 23 Jews arrived in New Amsterdam. At that time, New Amsterdam was a, a Dutch-owned uh, colony that later became New York. Like the pilgrims that had come to America just decades earlier, the Jews were fleeing persecution in Brazil after the Portuguese seized the area from the Dutch. These Jews, like hundreds of thousands that would follow them from many nations, assimilated into American culture without sacrificing their Jewish identity. They valued education. They embraced the economic opportunities. They established synagogues and they prospered in America a country that safeguarded Jewish religious freedoms. You know, on May 14, 1948, David Ben-Gurion delivered Israel's Declaration of Independence in Tel Aviv. The nation of Israel was reborn in a day as prophesied by Isaiah 2,700 years ago. And such an amazing prophecy, I'll, I'll repeat it again. Who has ever seen such a thing? Who has ever heard of uh, something strange as this? Has a nation ever been born in a single day, and that's Isaiah chapter 66, verse 8. Now, on that same day, President Harry Truman was the, uh, was the first world leader to officially recognize Israel as a legitimate Jewish state, and it took only 11 minutes for Harry Truman to do that, 11 minutes after the creation of the state of Israel. Through the past 70 years, the United States has been a friend of Israel, 
even though some presidents and politicians wanted to abandon Israel, the American people have rallied behind all opportunities to provide Israel with support. Exactly 70 years after President Harry Truman recognized the state of Israel, the United States officially dedicated the emb its embassy in Jerusalem on May 14th, 2018. You know, it was back in 1995, literally 25, um, 25 years ago, that Congress adopted what was called the Jewish Embassy Act and it urged the federal government to relocate the American embassy to Jerusalem and to recognize the city of Jerusalem as Israel's eternal capital. Uh, but after 20 years, 25 years of promises made by, by many presidential candidates, President Donald Trump made good on that promise as he directed the U.S. Department of State to move the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. In a recent survey in Israel, by TV24. Almost two-thirds of Israelis believe that Donald Trump would be a better president for Israel than his Democratic rival Joe Biden. This finding reflects the support and the admiration that Israel has for the United States and for President Trump. However, when Gog leads Magog and a menacing group of nations and they attack Israel at some time in the near future, America, if they're one of these young lions, responds with just a whimper. No military support at all for its ally. And, and the question we keep coming back to is why? Well, we do know that for nearly 200 years, America has been the world leader for evangelism, sending more missionaries to make more disciples of all nations than all the other nations combined. Now, while some people can argue if the United States um, with its supposed separation of church and state could be truly called a, a Christian nation, there is no doubt that evangelism has been supported by Americans who call themselves Christians, attend church regularly, read the Bible, and champion laws based on the Ten Commandments and the laws given to Moses. The gospel of Jesus Christ is, is part of the fabric and the culture of the United States. You know, it was only 18 years after the Pilgrims landed in Plymouth. Harvard College, the first of America's Ivy League, was founded to educate the clergy. Did you get that? Harvard was founded to educate Christian clergy. The Congregational Church founded Yale after that in 1701. And in 1746, the Presbyterians founded Princeton. In fact, Princeton's crest in Latin says Deus sub nami vijay, which is Latin for under God, she flourishes. You know, while the history and the fruit of American Christianity and evangelism cannot be overstated, the religious landscape of the United States is, is rapidly changing. Americans continue to be more religious than adults in other wealthy Western democracies such as Canada, Australia, and most of the European states. Americans pray more often, are more likely to attend church, and say that their faith is important to them, according to a recent study by the Pew Research, study, Pew Research Center. However, that same Pew study showed that this percentage of religious Christians is in, is in decline. 
Only 65% of Americans presently identify themselves as, as Christian, compared to over 79% just a decade ago. While American evangelicals align with conservative Catholic voters have been the deciding factor in many of our political contests, progressives, the media, secularism, and socialism is a growing threat to conservative and evangelical values alike. And, and let me tell you, conservatism and evangelical values are the fabric of our society. Now, if this trend continues, America's demise could happen in a day. We asked the question earlier, why isn't America mentioned in prophecy or, or have a notable role during the seven-year tribulation that is clearly articulated in the book of, of Revelation? We ask why? Well, the logical answer is that America must have a, a notable decline, a diminished role in both military power as well as global influence. And given the growing convergence of many of the signs of the end times, it's likely that this notable decline will be both rapid and dramatic. Now there are, there are two likely scenarios that could cause such a dramatic change in the economic, the political, and military status of the United States. And I'll take us through both of them uh, pretty rapidly. The first is, is relatively simple, and it's called an election. While both the Democrat and Republican parties historically end up gravitating towards the, the middle, this great middle uh, blend of, of liberal and conservative beliefs in order to govern, that's no longer the case. Most political pundits and religious leaders have pointed with, to a growing polarization within the United States with very little middle ground left that either side can, can truly embrace. While every election seems to be the, the most important, you've heard that before, right? This is the most important election. Few would disagree that this political election in 2020 between Donald Trump and Joe Biden is, is anything but typical. One election can make a difference throw the nation and literally the world into a, to a different paradigm. And if not this election, it's really only a matter of time when the conservatives and evangelical-backed candidates are, are neither the party in the White House nor the party, uh, the majority party in Congress. However, there's, there's another scenario that would cause such an immediate and extraordinary change in the economic, political, and military status of the United States. And this is my second scenario, and I think my preferred scenario, and that is the rapture of the church. See, no one knows how, how close we are to the return of Jesus Christ. However, we can say with certainty that we're closer today than ever before. Jesus told us that when you see these things beginning to happen, the signs of the end times, Jesus says, look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draws nigh. No one knows but God how many true believers make up the 60 to 70 percent of Americans that identify themselves as Christians, profess to be Christians. However, the rapture, when it occurs, has the potential to irreversibly alter what we know as the United States of America. 
For those that don't understand what is meant by the term rapture, I'll, I'll explain that in a moment. But for those that understand, imagine, just imagine for a moment the impact on the government, the economy, and all of our businesses if, if millions, tens of millions of Christians simply disappear in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Okay, so, so let me go back up a little bit and explain this concept of the a rapture of the church. Some of you may be unaware or unfamiliar with that term. Nearly all Christian denominations, pastors and churches, believe that Jesus will return. And in that universe of a myriad of beliefs and opinions about prophecy, I myself and the majority of conservative evangelical churches and seminaries teach that prior to the tribulation, what is also called the time of Jacob, meaning Israel's trial, there's a catching away of the saints, a, a rapture. The rapture is described principally in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord forever. Now, the other reference to this event is in uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, uh, chapter 15, beginning at verse 50. Paul says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised and perishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must close itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been closed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. That this teaching that God will rescue the believers prior to the coming wrath is actually not without precedent. Historically, God has removed the faithful out of harm's way. The Bible teaches that Noah and his family were safe aboard the ark. The Bible also teaches that the angels came to take Lot and his family out of Sodom prior to the judgment. They escaped the fire and the brimstone. Jesus, in speaking of these end times and the coming judgment, told his disciples this. He says, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. That's Luke chapter 21. Most importantly, Jesus said he was coming back for his bride. The Apostle Paul said that the coming of the Lord was the, the blessed hope. It was something that we would look forward to. Uh, it will happen. It will happen in a day, in a moment, in the, in the twinkling of an eye. So let's be prepared and look forward to the coming of the Lord. Now, after this rapture of the church, the restraints are, are literally off. The Apostle Paul mentions this in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, where he says, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. 
only he who now restrains will restrain until he is taken out of the way. Scholars understand that he who now restrains is the, present of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of, of every believer. When every believer is miraculously removed from the earth, raptured in the twinkling of an eye, and joins the Lord in the air, then he that restrains has been removed. Shortly after the rapture, a peace treaty, a covenant with many, is confirmed by the Antichrist, and Israel feels assured that they'll have peace for, for seven years. However, what follows are the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. And ultimately, the wars, the judgments, the famines, the earthquakes, they destroy the green grass, the fresh water, and literally more than one-third of all of the remaining people on the earth perish. However, millions, millions that are left behind become believers. The Jewish temple in Jerusalem is rebuilt. How the temple is rebuilt, we do not know. The Bible doesn't tell. But it's clear from prophecy that it will be standing at the midpoint, three and a half years after the tribulation begins. My friends, there will be millions that come to Christ during the tribulation. And the Bible says that many, if not most, will lose their lives. They will die. And they'll stand before the Lord in, in white robes. The Bible says that it will be a, a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, every tribe, people, and language. The Bible says that they triumphed over the Antichrist and the dragon, that's Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. That's out of Revelation chapter 12. There has always been persecution against the church. There has always been uh, to, always been those do not shrink from death. But there's coming a time, there's coming a time, and I believe it's in the very near future, that a, a blessed generation of Christians will not taste death. They'll be translated. They'll be immediately caught up. Uh, that word caught up, by the, word, by the way, is the Greek word harpazo. And harpazo in Greek is translated as rapturo in Latin. That's where we get the word rapture. So let's pray, you and I, let's pray that we be counted worthy to escape the coming wrath that is to come. To be counted worthy is simply to embrace the one that is, is truly worthy, and that's Jesus Christ. We embrace his death and his resurrection uh, so that we can be forgiven, so that we can have e eternal life. Let us pray that we can be like the, the Church of Philadelphia, where Jesus promised, since you have kept my command to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming, that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this study of prophecy. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.